0: Like, all the way over? Should I stop the recording? Don't stop the recording, because it's just good for me to have stuff to play with for the cold open.
1: (laughs) No, none of it's been good. We have a high standard here. Do we? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, our cold opens have been... Do you even listen to the podcast?
2: Yeah, I listen to the cold opens. (laughs) (laughs) That's...
0: should be skeptical yes of people who might be conspiring against us but we should also be skeptical deeply deeply skeptical of our fearful fallible selves these are the last two instances these the last two sentences in which the book the united states of paranoia conspiracy theory ends with um this book was written by jesse walker um and it is uh, the book that we are covering this week on reader beware my name is zach and if you're not familiar with our podcast this is where myself uh, our My friend Alexis Russell and my friend Thomas Rotering discuss a critical book with some sort of fervor. We all did debate and are used to grappling with these topics and, uh, you know, more or less uh, used to <laughs> grappling with these topics. Um, that being said, that's our podcast. That's what we do. This week, we're tackling the United States Paranoia Conspiracy Theory. Uh, Roter, how you doing?
2: I'm doing well. I'm bringing some kind of fervor.
0: Bring some fervor, baby. <laughs> Alexis. How about you?
1: i'm also bringing fervor more than rotor (laughs) does
2: anybody know (laughs) what that word means or am i just power it means it means
0: mana sure (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a biblical term um anyway this week we like said are reading the united states paranoia conspiracy theory which was written by jesse walker jesse walker is a books editor of reason magazine he also attended the university of michigan He's written this book along with another book called Rebels on the Air, an alternative history of radio in America. If you're not familiar with Reason Magazine, uh, that's a more libertarian outlet. Um, So he definitely has a certain perspective on things. Jesse Walker also seems to be very interested in the historical analysis of different instances. That's very clear in this book, but also clear if you follow him as a journalist and kind of read some of his other works. So that being said, it's it's a very interesting book that details the history of conspiracies in America dating back to the founding and going all the way through today. The book splits up into two different parts. Part one is called Primal Myths, and it covers conspiracy theories uh, kind of throughout the 16, 17, and 1800s. And part two is titled Modern Fear, which covers conspiracy theories from Watergate all the way to today. So it covers uh, a lot of ground in this book. It's also very packed with data, if you look at, or data and uh, historical nuance. So, you know, by data, I mean anything from studies to uh, journal entries from the time or newspaper articles that were written um, at the time in which some of these instances were occurring. So, it definitely tries to set the historical record straight on some things where people may have interpreted uh, more or less than what's there. Roter, Alexis, what'd you all think? General thoughts?
2: well i'll jump in here i thought this was a very interesting book that sort of it sort of traced how conspiracy theories aren't these fringe ideas from you know dark corners of the internet or you know your your uncle who's got some wild ideas these are these are broad understandings of the way that the world works and the way that our society works and they really do influence every part of american culture but really culture generally it's just kind of how we're wired to recognize patterns and and read meaning into the situations that we encounter
0: totally agree I also think it to add on to that that it's it kind of says hey this is not something that's new you know we live in 2020 the era of like Donald Trump and fake news and et etc cetera, et cetera, but mm-hmm. the ethic of conspiracy didn't just begin it's something mm-hmm. that we've lived with um probably probably for the length of his human history Alexis, what did you think?
1: It was a lot. Okay. And I understand why. Because Jesse Walker obviously took the perspective or the not perspective strategy of like using a lot of history and data and like storytelling to disprove these conspiracy theories that are so pervasive in our society. And that's totally valid. And I get it. But I was kind of more interested in like the psychological and sociological perspective of why conspiracy theories are so pervasive. And I think it would have been cool to go – onto YouTube and go down a rabbit hole and like truly see what's out there and see what the comments say or you know really explain why people believe that there are like lizard people or that 9-11 was an inside job and like use real examples like show us what's out there because a lot of people don't really even know that people believe some pretty wild things um And then get into maybe more of like, well, why is this a phenomenon that occurs? Like, why are we all so susceptible to this? Because like, I do agree with what you both said as far as how this, this mindset and the pervasiveness of conspiracies, they do impact, I mean, every aspect of our culture and there have been conspiracies about like so many, so many things in American life, um, So that is true. And I just would have been more interested in seeing, you know, why is that? Why are we as groups, you know, susceptible to that? Um, But that being said, some of the history was really interesting and I learned a lot from this book. It was a lot to retain, honestly. I think it's a book that would require either like extensive note taking or reading it a few times. Um, But there were parts of it that I found more entertaining just based on my own subjective interests. But then there was some stuff that honestly, like I, I didn't care about. Um, So (laughs) I'm interested in like kind of maybe talking about how the, ideas that were explored in the book are relevant to today like what's going on maybe perhaps with this virus because there are a lot of conspiracy theories about it maybe not a lot I only really know of like two but they're pretty pervasive or at least they were
0: those are just the two that you read about in the New York Times I promise you there's more okay gotcha (laughs) (laughs) correct yeah I think that that's a good that's a fair point I think the book spends less time focusing on the motivations of groupthink and whether that is um let me back up what i will say is that like i think the book does a decent job of pointing to some of the motivations of some of the conspiracies within it but it doesn't do a deep dive into how those motivations are formed and why those fears and anxieties are present because it'll, it'll call a group racist and kind of attribute racism to why people in New York thought African American slaves were burning down houses in a systematic way to try and eradicate whites from the region. Like the book does kind of hint at some of those anxieties and why, why, you know, what are the reasons behind why people thought those things. That being said, I, I definitely think that the book spends less time focusing on those internal motivations, as Alexis says, but uh, the historical record should certainly be interesting and definitely applies to today.
2: Yeah, yeah and I, I hear what you guys are saying, but I, I thought the book did a pretty good job of kind of showing how conspiracy theories are like a sociological manifestation of broader trends at the time or what's going on in the world um, and that they're not, they're not just like little pathological outcroppings of some weird thing it's like they're predictable social events that map really well to um to use a horrible term that i hate to it it maps really well to the zeitgeist of the situation you know it really the spirit of the times you know it really it really captures that but no i i thought the book did a pretty good job of that but what what yeah. conspiracy theories would you guys want to like Explore more in that way, because I thought I thought it did a pretty good job
0: I feel like it doesn't focus on the individual, which is what I hear Alexis saying, although it does give like a forensic analysis of like people connected these dots to think this it doesn't necessarily say why they made these very big jumps in logic or why they were predisposed to not be persuaded by traditional reasoning um, right okay like I agree yeah. I told I'm with you in terms of like it definitely says like look here's a series of incidents, and you know Here's the anxieties that people had at the time and how they interpreted, Mm -hmm. per se, the incidents in front of them um, is what becomes a conspiracy, right? Uh, I just don't know if it gets to the individual level of like starting to focus on why a certain person might react to data in a different way than or in a way that, that quote unquote, a reasonable person, whatever that means, would.
2: Yeah, you know, I recently read a book called um, Calling the Shots, and it's a book about why parents um, will delay or refuse uh, vaccination, and it takes a more anthropological perspective of, like, just seeking to understand, going through different mindsets, and tracing very specific histories and very specific narratives in a way that maybe might be more fulfilling if you wanted to, like, do a deep dive into one specific conspiracy. But this was more focused on like the super organism of all, you know, Mm -hmm. people in the United
0: States during this decade, which,
2: yeah. Yeah, I can see how that would be unfulfilling
0: in a lot of ways. That sounds like a really interesting read in terms of like understanding, hey, this is why this person became a paranoid individual Um, and maybe a a book for a future podcast. Uh, But I tend to agree, I think this is a macro. This is about what is conspiracy. Overall, I thought it was a really interesting read. I am fascinated in the history of conspiracy and I'm I'm fascinating in um the truth, I think, is why I'm really attracted to a book like this, because it gives you gives me some ammunition to uh talk about some conspiracies, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, I thought it was also helpful because you know you want to comb through history to be aware of of lessons that we've learned collectively in order to not repeat those mistakes, but also for how to interpret what's going on right now and what might happen in the future. And this was nice because it it offered me a chance to reflect on the way conspiracy theories work and the way actual conspiracies work um, so that I could kind of, going forward, I could interpret information that I receive better and sort of have like a new sort of more meta understanding of the flow of information, and the way stories get told, Um, because I've never really studied conspiracy theories until one hits you like on the internet (laughs) or your friend comes and tells you a a theory they have and you're like, whoa, I have no idea what to do with this.
0: I also like that the book, like, leaves room for plenty of conspiracies to be true. Like, yeah, the FBI or the CIA really did introduce, or CIA, FBI, intelligence organizations really did introduce crack cocaine into the inner cities during the 1980s. Um, Like, you really did have cover-ups of of different things. The government really did spy on us using the Patriot Act. Like, there are conspiracies out there, and some of them are real, right? But I, I think what the book does a great job of is making the distinction that, some conspiracies can make true claims without the overlying thesis of the conspiracy being true. Um, I like that distinction a lot uh, because yeah, we should be skeptical of governments and organizations, but also it's not all, it's likely not a global cabal. (laughs) Alexis, did you have any further thoughts in this uh, opening segment before we transition to talk about a couple of specific conspiracy theories in the book?
1: Not to be boring, but I agree with you guys. I think that it's definitely useful um, and it was educational for me in a lot of ways because as we'll see later, I'm pretty impressionable when it comes to conspiracy theories so just getting educated on how those come to be and just appreciating how far back a lot of these like the Illuminati it, it goes back so far like so so far and just the history of that is um Huge and, and just appreciating that they didn't just pop up out of thin air. And some dude on YouTube who made a video, he didn't actually construct any of these ideas. Like they've been around for so, so long.
0: He's just plagiarizing John Todd.
1: Right. Yeah. But he, that person might not even know about John Todd, then likely doesn't. So it's just, it's a lot.
0: I think that's what was really interesting too, is like there's a lot of history of how some of these things started. But if you, like, I have family members and friends that believe in a lot of really interesting conspiracies that I don't think are likely or true. Some of them believe in the Illuminati being like a real thing that controls the globe. And I think if I presented them with the story of John Todd and the history of how um, that came to be, they would probably reject it as fake news. <laughs> they, yeah. they, like, even if they did, even if they were presented with the information, I don't know if they would process it. Um, like yeah. They
1: did. yeah, that's interesting. Uh, So without
0: uh, much more being said, I I think that's a a good overview of what the book is about. Um, In our second segment, we'll be talking about how, uh, we'll be talking about a couple of specific conspiracy theories the book presents us with, specifically Watergate and also the Illuminati. So it should make for some great discussion. But before that, Rotor has an ad break.
2: This podcast is not brought to you by the Rosicrucian Society for the Betterment of the World. Is this you? I'm so upset because the politicians and the bureaucrats and the billionaires are screwing us common people over. Well, rest assured, the secret destiny of everyday Americans like you will not be opposed. For centuries, the most compassionate, well-educated, influential, and handsome members of our society have found refuge and camaraderie in the darkest corners of the halls of power in the Roshicrucian society. Is it a thankless job? Yes. It's, is it what's best for America and ultimately the world? Also yes. Is there any way we could selfishly benefit? Absolutely not. The next time you get justice, see your loved ones prosper, get laid, or see fireworks on the 4th of July, you can smile because we've got your back, America. This ad was paid for by the Benjamin Franklin Covenant of Interplanetary Peace.
0: And we're back. (laughs) Right. Um, So we picked a, we, this book is a little bit different than some of the other books we've uh, read. So we decided to break from our typical question format for our second segment. Um, We're going to go ahead and talk about two specific conspiracy theories like noted at the end of the last segment. The first of which is the Illuminati. Um, So, I think what might work is I'd I'd like to set up kind of what the book has to say about the history of the Illuminati. And I'd like to turn it over to Alexis for the first word. So the book uh, talks about the Illuminati in several places. Uh, The first time it pops up is in chapter five, Puppeteers, where it talks about how the Illuminati was founded in the 1700s, right? So uh, the Illuminati was at some point in actual organization founded on May 1st, 1776 by Adam Weishaupt a professor at the University of Ingolstadt in Bavaria. He was motivated mostly by a desire to undermine the influence of the Jesuits in the area. Um, his followers weren't for the first people to call themselves the Illuminati. The Spanish Alambrados, uh, the French uh, Illuminis, and the Afghan uh, Roshania of the 15th and 16th centuries used the label for the religious movements, a likely story, <laughs> as some 18th century French followers of the Swedish spiritualist, Emmanuel Swedenborg. So, the Illuminati's existed as a term for a long time. Some people had called religious awakenings that, as, as noted, right? But the first time it was in organization uh, was uh, at the University of Ingolstadt in Bavaria. Uh, ships group was something that took hold within Freemasonry, so a secret society within a secret society. Um, attracting thousands of members before the barbarian authorities started tra- cracking down. Um, the, uh, they cracked down and raided the home of an Illuminatus who recently held a post in the government. They found papers with secret symbols and a partial, ro- uh, partial membership roster and uh, some other, you know, interesting things and documents um, and soon Bavaria's Duke declared that anyone caught recruiting new members into the order would be put to death. So this was an organization that did exist at some point at the, at a university, um, and potentially did infiltrate some, uh, portions of government or some, um, some governmental agencies within Bavaria. That being said, this chapter goes on to discuss how the Illuminati, um, was taken out of proportion from there and individuals attributed much more to that organization um, both across seas and locally. So this small organization that was kind of cracked down on and, um, you know, snuffed out by Bavarian officials turns into this kind of rumor mill for a much larger, larger organization that could have its tendrils in anything, you know, could be controlling lots of things. The chapter goes on to discuss how that um, was kind of evolved into different conspiracies uh, among Federalists in the United States generally. Um, and then throughout history, as we go through the 1800s, and a lot of times the Illuminati conspiracies of this time is tied directly to Mason, uh, to Freemasonry, which the book also details in, in earlier chapters. So that's what it has to say about it. It says uh, in terms of the history and the founding, it was an organization, got blown out of context. The organization was kind of cracked down on. Now let's jump forward about 200 years. In the second part of the book, uh, we have a chapter called The Legend of John Todd. John Todd uh, is an interesting guy. So he started coming around to churches in the 1970s and detailing a grand conspiracy in which the devil was controlling the world. The devil was using an organization called the Illuminati to control various individuals, and he had recently escaped. He would go to these churches and say that I've escaped the devil's organization, and I need you to to support me financially, so I can continue <laughs> to run from the devil. So he basically go and scam these churches out of their offering for the day and move on to the next church. This caught hold. And from, from John Todd telling this narrative, um, it started to pop and tick into uh, pop culture, even, to, uh, uh, even appearing uh, into like a, into like 2020 episodes and like really popular TV shows. These, uh, this bleed over into pop culture didn't always implicate the Illuminati, but it did implicate Satanism and, um, lots of concepts that were related to Illuminati and what John Todd was discussing. Um, and then finally in chapter 10, the book discusses hip hop artists and how hip hop artists have, uh, had some Illuminati messaging within their, um, artwork and within their songs. It discusses how that has particularly taken hold, um, and, uh, it kind of gives us the most recent update to how the Illuminati narrative has been spun. So I know that's a lot, and that's maybe 5% of the information the book has (laughs) on the history of the Illuminati. Um, It it obviously has a ton to say, and I'm not doing it justice here uh, on this program, uh, laying it out, but um, I found it fascinating to see how one of the most uh, prevalent conspiracy theories that we have today uh, spun up through the years. Yeah, so, I mean,
2: we've we've all heard about the Illuminati, right? Like, I'm sure I'm sure you're going mm. over stories that you've heard. I know, for example, Eminem is definitely a part of the Illuminati. Obviously, every president has come into contact with the Illuminati. Um, you know, I think I think we're all aware, okay, that the Illuminati is everywhere.
0: But I promise, Jay Z's not man. He even said it. He he said he was a Mason, not a Mason. <laughs> Um, So, with all that being said, yeah, like Rotor said, we all have heard of the Illuminati, so it's just fascinating to kind of get the historical analysis. Some of us have more personal relationships with Illuminati narratives than others, and uh, Alexis, do you have anything more to say on that?
1: Yes? (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, 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 okay. Here's the story. It's 2011. Wait, no, wait, no, no, no. It's, It's gotta be 2012 or 2013. I was young, not young enough to make this less embarrassing, but I was young, impressionable, and spiritually at a point in my life where I think I might have been a little more susceptible to believing things about, like, the power of the devil. And ultimately, and and this is true in the history too, is that people who are religious, sometimes, some people, you, you know, we're fearful of of the devil and the powers that are there. And so I think for me, when I heard about the Illuminati, and it was honestly, I don't know how these conversations started, but I would bet that they started just from conversation about Beyonce's halftime show or nice. a lyric in one of Kanye West's songs before Kanye went all freaking Kanye. Um, and... So it wasn't any, I wasn't digging for it. I wasn't on a YouTube rabbit hole. It was just like strictly pop culture, right? And I remember just like talking to to one of my close friends at the time. And I was like, well, do you, I really looked up to her and saw her as a mentor. And I was like, well, do you think the Illuminati is real? And without missing a beat, she was like, well, yeah, if there's God, then there's a the devil and he has powers. And that's just what that is. Whoa. So the way that I have always conceptualized the Illuminati and what I've really seen about it has been less focused on like political power and and not really talking so much about like Barack Obama and George Bush being members of it, but more so just on celebrity. Um, And so-
0: Much much more the John Todd Illuminati than the Bavarian Society Illuminati.
1: Right. Um, So I had seen things like videos that would- go through Beyonce's halftime show and just like freeze things from different frames and be like this is symbolism that is referencing the devil period when really it sh- it probably is symbolism for something but not necessarily of the devil and it it and I didn't really go very far into that I was just like oh my god the throne she's sitting on is like this the I don't I don't know what it's called I forget but the same the same like creature thing that was the subject of that statue recently i forget the name of
0: some conspiracy theorist you are
1: i know i know (laughs) um i forget the name but it was like related to that and like the horns of that like it's like a half goat half man oh uh, yeah yeah
0: satanism it's the
1: yeah satanism
0: satan ironically worships him uh hang on hmm
2: Where does the where does DIA fit into all this?
1: What's DIA?
2: Uh Denver International Airport.
1: Oh, don't worry, it's coming.
0: Okay. <laughs> the goat headed statue. Yeah, sorry. I can't. Yeah.
1: Anyway. <laughs> so, but not only that, but like lyrics of certain hip hop artists, they address it and a lot of them do deny like Beyonce. Recently I think on Lemonade had a lyric just being extremely dismissive of it in general. Um, uh, Kanye has leveraged his Christian views to refute his membership. Like my first single was Jesus Walks. So how are you gonna tell me that I'm in the Illuminati now? But in my mind it's like, well, if you are super religious, then in my mind that's not (laughs) an argument against your membership in the illuminati because isn't it like people who believe in like god and the devil who would be involved in it anyway um and then there are other artists like kendrick lamar and like asap rocky and probably countless others who some of their lyrics they, they take on a narrative of like having gone through some type of initiation process or alluding to being pursued you know selling your soul different sacrifices being made and it could totally just be that it sells and that because some of us are infatuated with learning about this and hearing about it that they would just write about it and they would just be like okay if you want this to be true then i'll rap about it and that's fine and it also be
0: that maybe also some rappers are predisposed to paranoia and actually believe those conspiracies themselves
1: Maybe, especially if like, well, I don't know if it's true, but I was thinking younger rappers grew up maybe hearing hearing about it and, and the music that they grew up on. So it's kind of like generational. But I don't, I don't really listen to any younger rappers, so I don't know if they're still rapping about the Illuminati. But um, yeah. So. <sighs> Michael's favorite artist of all time is Kendrick Lamar and I he could sit here and talk about it for hours just like specific lyrics and what could that mean I mean if if this person is being honest in their narrative which people who are fans of hip-hop we are because we believe that these are true narratives of these people these are true stories and or that they're representing a true story when they speak so why would this not be true and and you know then you can take it further and be like well you know eminem's best friend was his blood sacrifice which is some people think it's a way that you can level up in the illuminati i mean it goes super deep kanye west's mom passed away i mean i don't know i mean it's just it's a lot and then there are people who, who think that they know what the like initiation rituals are like like it's some dark stuff and I've not gone that far into it but basically my my whole world of the Illuminati was really just like celebrities and there are practical questions that are so just obvious like okay let's say I'm an aspiring rapper how do I get a hold of the devil how does he like does he like you know, you don't contact him. He contacts you. Do you get a Ouija board or something? Just be like, "Hey, I'm willing to sell my soul to be with you." So
0: supernatural. You have to bury something you care about at a crossroads, and then he'll Ooh, meet you. You got to prove you care.
1: Whoa. Okay. Um, oh yeah, Paul Walker, he was totally killed by the Illuminati, and it was predicted what? in some movies that he was in. I mean you it's mean just... the
2: fast and furious?
1: <laughs> yes. No, I no, could, not I that, that he was in a movie about a secret <laughs> society, apparently before. Oh. I don't know what you was was ever been in. This?
0: Hang on. You, think so? you, you promised Denver Airport makes an appearance here.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. So Denver Airport is so creepy. We actually were there. Do you guys remember?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Was it not creepy to you?
0: Denver Airport's got some whack shit going on, but
1: okay. So what's your explanation, Zach? I don't
0: think it's. I think it's a bunch of rich people have like end of the world bases below it, but or something like that. It's not the (laughs) Illuminati.
1: Okay, well, it could be the Illuminati.
0: It can't be. I promise. (laughs) Did you not read this
1: book? No, no, no.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've
2: got some weird art. They've got you know a lot of tunnels and stuff. The United States. um, The art has explanation where they contracted Russian um, security forces to quell a hypothetical uprising of Americans at DIA. I mean, I, I just don't see it, you know? What, what, what do they got, nuclear
0: silos, What do, you know? The artist from, so there's weird art at the Denver airport, but the artist has talked mm-hmm. about it like several times. And so like, I am less skeptical about the art because it was like, a lot of it's about environmentalism and the destruction of the United States or of the world through like global warming. Um, at least in terms of how he describes it. And when you look at them, it actually makes a lot of sense.
1: Okay, okay, okay. Of, like, ooh, ooh. One more,
2: one more, if you'll indulge me. You can cut okay. this out later. Okay. The horse, the Bronco, Oh, that's you with the glowing red eyes. Apparently, the artist who is making that was almost done when it fell on him and killed him. And they still finished the statue of this giant dark stallion, glowing so red eye. That's
1: your real story.
2: I. It's a story I heard. Who knows?
1: Oh my god. Okay. Well, what about this? Because you brought up the paintings. Oh my god! You're how... right. <laughs> what?
0: The horse thing is real. Is it? Uh, it, its head fell on him and severed an artery in his leg. Did he die? He had had completed painting the head of the Mustang. Did he die? He died, it fell on his artery. You don't come back.
2: Severed Hashtag Illuminati.
0: Oh my God. Okay, a horse statue falls in the woods and kills a guy and it's the Illuminati, I don't know.
2: Not just any horse statue, okay. It was a, a giant bronco with blazing red eyes. I didn't
0: know I was walking into a podcast Clearly. with Alex Jones. Jesus.
1: <laughs> it's, it's the frogs. Okay, back to the art. So the art, okay. I think the issue people have with it is that it could be construed as like predicting the end times, which isn't yeah. really a far stretch because, yeah, we're killing the earth. It and is predicting it probably- the end times. <laughs> okay but listen i'm going somewhere with this and i don't know if it directly relates to the illuminati but i think i can make it relate to that okay so (laughs) predicting things predicting things in general have you seen like oh my god people say that like the family guy predicted trump's presidency and like the simpsons predicted 9-11 and Mm -hmm. like all this stuff and then it Mm -hmm. like they'll show clips and it's like this was this was aired in fucking 1998 and it has planes flying into the world trade center like
0: you, yeah sure but like do you know how many episodes there are of the simpsons
1: okay that doesn't persuade me because how but many doesn't because there's
0: okay but like <laughs> all right go I ahead what what if what if, what if aliens Those, hang on let me make the point the point is there's a shit ton of episodes of The Simpsons and these are, these are like not one-to-ones. Like it's not exactly in the way that it actually happened. It's like, oh, that kind of is what happened in real world. Like it's never exactly what actually happened is the other thing. We're reading, we're reading, we're reading symbols and data, I feel like with that
1: stuff. I'm just saying there are so many examples of this. I, I agree with even...
0: Alexis. You think that the Simpsons writers are in on it.
1: (laughs) And it could be because of the Illuminati. Like, who knows? Maybe what's his name who writes Family Guy and a million other shows? Like, how does he have so much time? What's his name? Fucking Seth MacFarlane. Anyway, maybe he's in the Illuminati and they're like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to make this happen in 20 years. So just do with that what you will.
2: Why would they?
1: To fucking
2: scare us. I don't know. (laughs) Hmm.
1: So if aliens
2: show up, are you going to be like, this was predicted? No, because that's like so
1: vague. Aliens, that's so vague.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. (laughs) Okay. All right. But like also a terror attack is super vague or like a shooting. Like those happen all the fucking time. So it's not out of this world to think that a writer that's sitting in a room with other What are you knowing? What are you pointing at?
1: (laughs) Jesse Walker even said in his book that terrorism is rare.
0: It is. Okay, fine. Terrorism is rare, but acts of violence aren't. And it's rare is a relative term. And so if we're saying like rare is three times a year or four times a year, I think that's not that rare in the scope of history. Presidential elections are more rare than terror attacks. Um, So, so, sorry. Census is more rare than a terror attack. Let's just take a step back.
2: Alexis, are you... I understand why these things are very persuasive and you're making a lot of sense. <laughs> are you, are you a believer in the Illuminati as of, as of right now?
1: In what do I, do I believe that like the devil and his demons like run, like what in what, do, no, in, what you, at all? Do I believe in it at all? Yeah. And, what,
0: and what's
2: the extent of In any of that? form? I mean, sure. everything you've described up to this point, do you think like, you know, Beyonce was in the Illuminati? For the Super Time half or Super Bowl halftime show,
1: I'm gonna have in, to say no. I guess, but if there was an Illuminati, she's definitely in it. She's mm-hmm. like the queen. But I guess not because what does that look like, right? Like I don't know. I guess there are just super super powerful people in the world, and it's easy to believe that there's an organization to that. Mm-hmm. Um or at least that there could be. And then when you have people who like have too much time on their hands, who commit their whole life to like making that, like spelling that out for you in videos. I mean, it's at the tip of our fingertips, these things. So yeah, I mean, it's just easy to kind of, you know, think about it at least, but it's like, what does that really look like? When you take a step back on the macro level, which is like this whole fucking book's point, then it's like, oh, okay. Well, there's a lot of holes here and not only holes, but a lot of these theories can be accounted for on a historical basis. That's a great,
0: um, yeah. No, sorry. Go ahead. So,
1: man, I don't know, but like the, there are so many, I'm telling you, like there are so many examples of things being predicted that it's just like wild.
0: I think the predictive stuff is interesting. I would like to talk a little bit about that in like one second, but I want to spin off a comment you made, which I totally agree with, which is like, there is a historical record to this, that this book tries to account for. On page 234, it talks about uh, Robert Shea, who published a book called Illuminatius. It's a three volume novel that was written in the ironic style. So it was not meant to be believed or interpreted. Um, But this book largely is, attributes it to uh, bringing the Illuminati into contemporary popular culture. Like a lot of the claims um, related to Satanism come from this book. And you actually, uh, a few paragraphs later, it talks about how John Todd also probably like borrowed some of his things from this book and like that influenced him and like worked back and forth right there, right? So like I struggle to believe these things when I can point to a book that was written out out of like an ironic ethic that was not intended to be real, that is the basis of these arguments. And so it's like hard for me to, when the author's saying, no, this is fake, and people are like, no, 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 it's real. You're lying. It's not fake. But well, what if that was planted, Zach? <laughs> that's what you want us to think. Like, I'm not <laughs> that fucking paranoid. I'm pretty paranoid. Like, I, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm, it, I just struggle to believe in the interconnectivity of it all. Mm-hmm. That being said, on the predictivity, do you not see how that's a little bit like, what's talked about in the epilogue, which is where he discusses like reading, reading things into data that not, might not actually be there. Like you're making huge jumps in logic without an internal, I'm not gonna make, without having, a, um, without having like a story to connect how you get there. In debate world, we would call that like an internal link story.
1: Yeah, so I just real quick want the readers to be able to look at this picture. Okay, uh, because it. Yes. I think it will help. Exp- it really, it's a very good example of what we're talking about. So, listeners, look up the. Just type in "9/11 photo Mark D Phillips." So this was a photo taken by Mr. Phillips, and he didn't even really know what was going on at the time, but he knew he, he was in shit was going down.
0: He was in mm-hmm. Brooklyn, right? And he went. He just heard explosions and went to his roof and started taking pictures. Right? Yes. Is the okay?
1: So. So obviously news outlets like ran with this photo because it's, I mean, just, it's a really good photo, but then someone told him, what did they tell him? There's a face in. There's
0: a face in the picture. There's a a picture. picture. It's a picture of the two towers after the second plane hit on 9
1: 11 Before they collapsed. And then you, you look at it and yeah, it looks, I mean, you can see a face and supposedly horns. I don't really see the horns as clearly, but anyway, so then what's his name? Jesse Walker. <laughs> Jesse Walker explains this, uh, phenomenon, w- which I don't want to pronounce or try to.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Which is, yeah. Like, like Zach said, it's, it's reading pictures. Uh, patterns
0: are perceived as meaningful shapes or sounds. Yeah.
1: yeah, there we go. Um, and, and so, basically that could be and probably is what's happening with like the predictive stuff that i've been talking about on like the simpsons and family guy and whatnot Mm -hmm. um and i guess i guess that's true but i just don't see how things can line up because they they do like there's that that shot of donald trump coming down the escalator like right after he announced he was running or something. but he also
0: he ran in 2000 do you know that donald trump ran for president in 2000 did he? Yeah, he failed. it was a failed campaign, but he ran, and it was a joke. Is that and when so,
1: like, he was a Democrat?
0: I to be like, Look, this—the Simpsons writers are smart. Maybe they just thought about that as like a funny
1: premise. Okay, maybe they did. I'm well, sorry, I'm being that.
0: very obstinate right now.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, we're like intellectuals. We're the elite, okay? Just finished a JD. Like, we're what? supposed to not believe in these what? things.
0: I work in like, manufacturing, just,
1: thank you. We're just, you're still... You're still
0: yeah,
2: I think I, I think what uh what conspiracy theories do is, um, they sort of hijack the machinery of your mind to, like manufacture meaning and patterns and causality behind everything. It doesn't really matter how educated you are, if you're not prepared to encounter, the conspiracy theory because as soon as that enters your mind, you can connect. Mm-hmm. all of your knowledge to an overarching theory of of what's going on in the world so it doesn't really matter how much information you have coming in you can you can fit it into that narrative no matter what it's kind of like a biological example of like it doesn't matter how healthy you are if a if a virus enters your body and hijacks the machinery of your body then it's gonna you know cause trouble and you're gonna manufacture that virus but if you're prepared to respond to that virus if you have like a vaccine, vaccine or if you have you know mm-hmm. antibodies and a living memory of that of that virus then your body can prepare and it can it can encounter those things and it can um, defend itself but it doesn't matter how how healthy you are so it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have if if you encounter a conspiracy theory then you can just fit all of that into the overarching narrative and Yeah, so that's why I I don't think it's an issue of like who's smart and who's not. That's a great
1: metaphor too. Maybe, yes, and topical. (laughs) Maybe this is why I wanted the book to explore more of the psychological aspect, but he did talk about confirmation bias. And really that's just what this is, period. It's confirmation bias. And so I just wonder if maybe like Zach is, is more or less prone to that because Zach is an extremely data oriented person and that is the filter everything passes through in his big brain. So maybe that's, maybe that just, it maybe it just makes sense that he would be less prone to confirmation bias. Whereas like the vast majority of people, you know, we just, we do, we, we, we there's a reason why it's, like, a a term. It's because it's so widespread, and so, I don't know, maybe that's why I really wanted to, like, explore and understand the psychological aspect of it is because I don't want to feel dumb, and I want to understand, because, like, I'm fine volunteering that I'm wrong. Like, I get that, but, you know, freaking, oh my gosh, I almost said his name, our friend could send me a video about like Beyonce's new song and lyrics in it and the video. And oh my God, she confirmed she's in the Illuminati. You just have to look closely enough and I would watch it and I would be like, yeah oh my God, where was it yesterday? Upon reflection,
0: maybe the source of the video uh, was questionable.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe. person sending them to you. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I don't, I just want to understand it because obviously it's very widespread and you know but also like we've said there are some things that are not well i guess they are not theories they're just straight up conspiracies and like they have been true so
0: absolutely conspiracies are real like that that, i don't want to get my points aside like conspiracies are totally real they happen and um i think the filter in which i look at things is data but i think that's also could be problematic because i'm going to be wrong sometimes you know like when the I think conspiracies are unlikely, but the ones that we don't have a lot of data on that end up being true, I'm going to be on the wrong side of that looking back because I didn't have any data that said, like, I need to be worried about this. My perspective on the world is probabilistic. What's the most probable thing to be true? And why do I think that? And so, like, I'm always happy to adjust what I think about things when given new data. But in the, in the lack of data, it's hard to convince me with conjecture because it, there's so many factors in in anything right from politics and government to social interactions that you can ha- it's very difficult to attribute to one thing or it's often difficult to attribute something to one thing or another um without being the person that did the thing you know so yeah I think that's why I consider things that way but I don't necessarily think like I have the best way of thinking about things or anything like I just think it's a it's definitely a you um a filter mechanism like an evalu- how, how do we evaluate things that we're presented with in the world
2: yeah, I mean, I, I think nowadays with so much misinformation going around and with so much ulterior motive to pretty much everything that we hear, it can be really difficult to know what's true and what's not. Um, and nowadays, like when I'm talking with people who, um, you know, hear something on the news or read something online that just kind of strikes me as far out there, I'm like, what was the source of it, that information and do you trust them? sometimes it's a senator, sometimes it's a president, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's, Mm -hmm. you know, like a news anchor. And and honestly, like, do you trust that person? Do you trust that organization? Because I think that's, I think we have to hold on to that. Because when, when people get outed for lying time and time again, and then you get new information from them, you have to be skeptical of them. And you have to you have to take a lot of, you have to take their credibility into account and not just individuals, but also
0: institutions. Beyond, beyond. Oh my gosh,
1: credibility. I want to bring up something so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I'll be real quick. Uh, I was just going to say that I totally agree with that. But I, I, and I also think that like the, beyond institutions and individuals, we should also be very skeptical of the data we are presented with. And like, you should, we should read a couple books about evaluating data because like, how big is the sample size? What are their confidence intervals? What is the methodology behind the study that was conducted? I don't think like your average news consumer does a great job of grappling with these topics. And so when I say that I, I evaluate data like at a high bar, you also have to parse out what's good data and what's bad data. And that's an additional step that is extra homework to do. What uh, credibility, Alexis?
1: Yeah, the credibility thing, the point you made, Rotor, was so good. And it seems basic, I think. But in our culture right now, like, man, everything is so, so – and I'm not trying to point fingers because I'm guilty of this for sure. Everything is so polarized and partisan, and we just, like – especially when it comes to like Trump and his supporters, he's done such an amazing job of establishing his credibility (laughs) somehow with Mm -hmm. these people. And, you know, on the left also, I mean, we, we want to be right, obviously. Like we want to, and so something, okay, I'm going to, uh, I don't know. We, me, maybe I want to be right. Um, so something right. interesting right now that's going on is everything with joe biden and his wow we're like dating ourselves because this is not going to be published <laughs> for a couple months or whatever but, uh, this um, is going
0: out at june 1st
1: oh is it oh
0: scratch that. So anyway three weeks.
1: so anyway so everything with biden going on right now and emily Bazelon, she's like my queen she she's a host on the political gab and gap. she was. Kind of and and also on, oh my gosh! No, the 538 podcast. They I love their discussion on this um, on the allegation against Joe Biden because
0: it was actually really yeah it was good.
1: It was so good because they're talking about like okay credibility when it came to the credibility of, you know, Doctor Christine Blasey Ford. The people on the left we thought she was super credible. We thought she was like the quote perfect victim, which I hate that that's. hate that. That's disgusting to me. But that is the truth. We did see her that way. Um, And now when it comes to the woman who has accused Joe Biden, we don't see her as that. Tara Reid. We don't see her that way for some reasons that are very valid. I'm not trying to say that there's no validity there. But now the left we're we're questioning this person's credibility at a time when it's very convenient for us to do that. and i just think when it comes to the the litmus test that that roder set forth, we need to be intellectually honest about that question and we need to ask it all the time no matter if it's politically politically convenient for us to do so. if even if we have to risk being called a bad feminist to do that, we need to do that because it's always, there's always going to be a time when we're up here on the, the seesaw and when we're down here, like it's, there's always going to be a balance. And so um I don't know. I just got really fired up about that, but credibility needs to be something that we ask, but too often these days, myself included, we're only calling to question the credibility of the president, which I mean, come on. Like, there's a reason that we're doing that. And I don't, I think it's just like objective. <laughs> I love every time there's like a fat check count from the Washington post. It's just insane. Um, but you know, we need to have these conversations when it's hard and we need to have that very simple, you know, where'd you hear this and do you trust them? Like, let's have this conversation, but things are so why polarized. do you trust him?
0: like, how many people do you trust implicitly that you don't fucking know Like it's hard for me to trust public figures because oftentimes they will be, um, working towards an agenda, whether that be getting viewers on their show, getting reelected or getting podcast downloads. Everybody has a reason for doing what they're doing. And so like, I, this is why I try to rely less on like narratives of individuals in the media that I quote unquote trust, except for Nate Silver. He's awesome. Um, (laughs) Oh hell! Be honest. Well, I mean, I I think that like the the data, for lack of a better word, doesn't have to earn its trust if you can lay out like mm-hmm. how it was done. Like there is a process for being very open about the study you conducted and like detailing it. Like said me- I already said this, but like a methodology and and having a real kind of grappling with what you've done here, so people can judge it for themselves. Um, I respect the hell out of that versus just the news anchor who has a thought. <laughs> Oh, but yeah. I wanted to ask that question. Like, how many people do you guys, like, trust that you don't know? I, I think it's certainly possible, but, like, it's for me, it's very few. Well, see,
2: I think, I think. And what does trust mean that relationship? That goes back to, like, I think I trust certain institutions um, for their credibility based off, you know, what they do for their communities, what they have published, you know, if they've been discredited, like the Heartland like the WHO. Institute.
0: Huh? Discredited, like the WHO. Uh, this is totally. Let's. I would say the World Thought. Health Organization yeah, is
2: fairly credible. Um, but uh yeah, so like the Heartland Institute is an example of a of an institution which, for decades, denied the the um health effects of secondhand smoke. They've denied that uh, climate change is happening now they're denying and uh they're, they're being skeptics of the um case and death count for coronavirus they're kind of just like this mill of of doubt that makes me very skeptical of anything they put out but i'm sure they publish things that are true um or you know retweet things that are true so i think and, and i think that goes back to like us too like we need to be credible in and of ourselves like we we have to keep our reputation in mind whenever we say things and we have to be careful not to like tarnish our reputations or else nobody's gonna trust us you know that's that's basic like if you lie a bunch in your high school and like people won't trust you but
0: I guess my I guess the individual level of it though for me is like we don't see those people um, except when they're in front of a camera or behind a microphone and so like how much of their, how much experience do we really have with them as a person to build trust with them? I see you on the institution side of it. Like for sure, that makes sense. Like there's something bigger than the individual and a long body of history and work to reflect on that an organization may have done. But at the individual level, I, I think it's very difficult because like some people are completely different when you're on camera versus not, right? Like that's, Ellen is a great example, like traditionally horrible to her staff and um, like other uh, people that come on the show. But very nice and affable and her fans love her because she's a great personality on camera, right? So, like, mm. um, that's a pop culture example, but I think that's also certainly true. Like, I don't know who Andrew Cuomo is in real life. Like, <laughs> he, right. I'm happy to listen to what he says to the TV screen and I'll adjust my perceptions of his claims based on what's true and what's not. But, like, I don't know if I can ever trust that guy unless I know that guy. Hmm. Um, yeah, and I it also... I think this point is very like good though like i certainly trust what this i typically trust like what noah puts out about like wind data you know or like uh pick the organization right i yeah
2: well i mean yeah like people are different in front of the camera than maybe they are off camera but i think i'm different based off who i'm interacting with to some extent and Mm -hmm. i think like the idea of dramaturgy is that like we're like life's a stage and we're all actors and we all like you know, we all put off something to other people and to even ourselves. Like, I think it's kind of uh cyclical in that regard, but like we are all kind of just acting and I know that's like super out mm-hmm. there and maybe a little too meta, but like I think the idea that I kind of tend to gravitate to is like, what's your financial interest in yeah. eliciting a reaction from me and getting me to buy something and getting me to believe you. And then also, like, what's your professional interest? What's your personal interest? Um, and when those things kind of fade away and someone really doesn't have, like, a dog in this fight, to use a horrible metaphor, <laughs> I see Alexis's face makes me think maybe I shouldn't use that term. But <laughs> if the they don't them. have a, a horse in this race, then it's a lot easier to believe them because it's like, hey, man, like, it's not that it affects me, but this is objectively true. And you're like, oh yeah okay but on the flip side like governments and people need to make decisions and they need to promote what they believe is true at the moment in order to act right now you can't wait for 10 peer-reviewed studies to come out over the next five years and have them you know digested by the scientific community and then say like okay we're gonna go ahead and do this because like maybe a bunch of people already died in the meantime or maybe You're completely wrong. Like those split second decisions are necessary to governance and they're necessary to commerce and they're necessary to how we live our entire lives. That being
0: said, I I think there should be a level of honesty with, I think this is true, but also things could change, right? Like how honest are you being with the public about the data you're looking at and how volatile it may be. I think a great example of like someone who builds credibility in the way that you just laid out is like Dr. Fauci, right? When he talks to the nation, he's like, Hey, it's what we're looking at. This is what I understand it to be. These are the concerns we have with it. These are the other possibilities. I think it's a very like academic and responsible way to respond to things, and uh, respond to uncertainty, things we don't actually know. Like he might believe something's more likely or not, but there is not something that he believes is truth at the time. That being said, they have to make decisions, like you said. Hmm. Um, and I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna put, uh, push at you a little bit more and go like, yeah, but. You know, how can you really know somebody's economic, financial, political motives around something if you only listen to them on their podcast or watch them on TV? Like, I don't know what deal they've got or what book they have upcoming or like, you know, mm-hmm. what, 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 who's, how, what they got paid to guest appear on, on a podcast or I, I guess it just starts to become a little bit murky in terms of fully understanding where people's motivations might be, right? Like, yeah, you're my that's... friend, I don't know who pays you. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Mm. Um, but I trust you but that's for other reasons so like I don't know there's yeah.
2: yeah I think there's a quotation from the jungle um the Sinclair novel or maybe maybe somewhere else I don't know if that was a novel it might have been like a nonfiction. anyways the jungle by Sinclair where he says that um it's very something to the effect of it's very difficult to under to make someone understand something when their paycheck relies on them not understanding it. Sure. It's like, how do you convince somebody that global warming is affecting the globe when they're the CEO of an oil and gas company? It's like, it's a pretty difficult task.
0: Yeah, and I think that's like an easy one, right? Like it's very clearly intertwined to in the guy's profession. And this is all an interesting topic, but I think we've probably gotten away from the uh, book a little bit. Um, True. So circling back to the, to the book, any, any final thoughts on Illuminati, Illuminati conspiracies? I, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground here, um, but I very much encourage people to dig into the book because it certainly outlines the data that, uh, and the, the histories of these things way better than we can do here.
1: I w- I want to say that you know to some degree i think that some conspiracy theories are just totally harmless like shane dawson has a series that he puts out on youtube sometimes and it's just like an hour of conspiracy theories and a lot of them are like totally fucking harmless they might be harmful to like companies sometimes when he talks about um how you can buy on Amazon, like, little tiny cameras to put, like, in your vents or whatever. Like, I don't know. Maybe people who sell little tiny cameras are suffering from it. <laughs> but a lot of conspiracy theories are not perpetuating racial stereotypes, are not perpetuating xenophobia. Like, they're just kind of entertaining. And I think that that needs to have space. Like, escapism sometimes is just what people are looking for when they watch those videos. And I think especially a creator like Shane Dawson on YouTube needs to be extremely critical when it comes to what he's going to publish on his platform and what he's going to give space. You know what? Also, YouTube needs to take some responsibility for that. But anyway.
0: Um, Not enough people in the world to monitor everything that goes on to YouTube.
1: That's absolutely true. Um, so, Yeah. I don't know why I said that, because like, what does the actual solvency for that entail? Well, I don't know. Sorry, I, you no, no No, no, I don't know happening. No, happening. No, no, that's I just
0: right now. I think you're correct. <laughs>
1: okay.
2: I I'd uh, recently just watched a 10-minute a clip of a, a documentary that claimed that um, wearing a mask would make you more susceptible to coronavirus and that it would uh, infect you quicker if you wore a mask. And YouTube, it had a ton of views and YouTube took it down because of harmful misinformation.
0: But it had a ton of views. Like, think about all the ones that have no views that (laughs) are saying the same shit. I I think Alexis is right. YouTube, I don't know what this solvency is, but it is, like, in the same way that I didn't know what Facebook solvency was for fake news, but they they need to make efforts and figure it out. (laughs) Start trying things, whatever it is.
1: Anyway, my thought is just that sometimes, you know, these... Conspiracy theories are not are not bad. Like who cares? Just let sure. it let it happen. Just think critically about those things. But obviously then there are theories that are really harmful and shitty. So yeah, that's that's all. That's that's my thoughts.
0: I think the um Operation Mindfuck chapter does a good job of leaving space for those kind of like satirical or ironic or like, hey, I don't know if this is true or not, but hey, judge it for yourself. Like that was kind of the ethic of a lot of those um irony in magazines that were written. Like the book talked about how they would mix things that the author believed to be true with things the author didn't believe to be true and things he wasn't sure about. So like, I agree, like there's, so what? There's some escapist um, conspiracies out there that are not harmful. And why should we care that much about that? Word. So with that, it's time for another ad break. This podcast is not brought to you by the CIA. Fed up with the president? Looking for someone to take care of that problem for you? Do you ever feel the urge to dose your unwitting neighbor with LSD just for the hell of it? Or maybe you just want to introduce narcotics to a minority community. Hey, well, look look no further. The CIA has you covered. Since 1947, they've been keeping the nation safe while keeping their eyes on you. Call the CIA today. Or don't. They're always listening. And that being said, we're back. (laughs) um so in this next uh the next conspiracy we want to talk about has to do with chapter six i believe called at the waters or the water's gate i'm turning it over to roto to set it up because i'm fumbling all over the place here
2: oh not at all so it's chapter seven actually um the water's gate um i wanted to kind of talk about this specific conspiracy um of uh Pro which is a a syllabic abbreviation from Counterintelligence Program. Um, It was uh, basically, it it operated to oppose domestic dissidents um, that FBI agents were um, tracking and sometimes seeking to um, destabilize their movements or to kind of like um, basically address domestic threats. And there's a long history of Pro um, infiltrating and influencing feminist organizations, uh, the Communist Party, um, the Vietnam War, or anti-Vietnam War organizers, members of the Black Panther. Um, and this, uh, this chapter basically goes through documented instances when the government has lied to us and has influenced us without us knowing. Um, And a specifically comical example um, was from the FBI's Philadelphia office where one agent was pondering how to um, basically undermine a particularly kind of out there um, uh, guy. He was a leader of the new left. And this FBI agent knew that um, this guy was really into kind of the symbology of um, ancient Egypt, and he was into sort of the mystical world. So he proposed sending him this letter that had a scarab, a type of beetle, a Siberian beetle, right on the front, and it said, just said "Beware" with an exclamation point. The Siberian beetle, and the idea what with this and other operations was that um, it would basically seed ca- chaos in these movements, where you know this guy goes out and tells his neighbors, like, "Look, I got this letter." And they're like, what are you talking about? This is clearly ridiculous. Nobody, you know, this isn't some vast conspiracy. The Illuminati didn't send you this letter. Um, But I think it, it represents sort of an awareness in the FBI and other people, other institutions around the world of conspiracy theories and of the legitimacy lent or taken away from people due to conspiracy theories to show that they're just another tool in the tool belt of institutions, of people, of corporations, of governments, and that it's not above anything else. It's not, you know, like a communication strategy that's some hidden secret knowledge that's different from anything else. It's just another tool that the government has. Um, I think the chapter does a really good job of showing how Watergate specifically demonstrated to the American people. That on the highest levels of power, we can be lied to and we can be manipulated and there can be a cover up with incredibly nefarious outcomes. And that event, as well as other events which have been exposed over history, has done so much to erode our trust in American institutions that we get to a breaking point, like in 2016, where we're willing to elect a political outsider in order to drain that swamp or in order to oppose the deep state. And I think that's why the legitimacy and credibility of institutions is so important because when they are eroded, and maybe it's a Democrat, maybe it's a Republican, but when they lie to the American people, when they do illegal things and try to cover it up, we're far more skeptical of those institutions in the future. And it erodes far more than the next four years. It can erode an entire decade of progress. It can, it can destabilize and have implications for the globe. And that's why I'm really, you know, personally, I'm interested in, in government and in the institutions of healthcare and public health. And there's such importance in maintaining that legitimacy and that trust between people and institutions. Um, and I, I just I just don't think that can be understated. Um, so curious on, on your thoughts on that. I know it kind of loops back into what we were talking about before.
0: That's actually, I, I agree. I think it's very fascinating. Um, I think this particular incident is also like a great example of, hey, the government, um kind of use any tool in the toolbox as you, as you, uh, had kind of said there, but beyond that, I, I actually kind of want to, um, I definitely have more thoughts that we can get to and, and whatnot, but I kind of want to pose a question related to this, which is if Watergate was a significant incident, which undermined faith in government. And if 2016 was a tipping point, do you think that that's, that this societal consciousness, which has made us skeptical, about the overarching institutions and in government. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is like that societal paranoia, did that start at Watergate and end with Donald Trump? Or is there another like tipping point, like, I don't know, Edward Snowden leaking NSA documents that primed the American populace for, for somebody like a, another political, like a political outsider like a Trump, right? Um, so I guess what I'm asking is, it, did it start with Watergate? There were multiple incidents and that leads us here. Or was Watergate just one instance which American authority was undermined, and um, we've had you know ebbs and flows of that. People get more faith in government in the 80s during Reagan, get less during the 90s, get more during the early 2000s. The NSA leaks after 9/11—that is, the NSA leaks happen—that gets undermined again. Is this just the ebb and flow in history, or are we are we on a track right now that has been going in one direction for a while?
2: Ooh, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but I want to check and see if Alexis had any initial thoughts as well.
1: This is kind of over my head if I'm being honest, I'm just listening. If I have thoughts, I'll jump in.
2: Okay, sweet. So I think to your point, Zach, I don't think 2016 was a tipping point or you know, the, the, the thrust of a pendulum or anything like that and we're, we're gonna head back towards embracing the credibility of the government um zizek actually has some really interesting writing on who's that just set it up for the listener uh what's his first name slavier zizek slavier zizek if i'm pronouncing that correctly is a sort of he's a uh, philosopher he's a political philosopher on the left is that fair to say zach you probably know more about him
0: (laughs) yeah I, i mean i don't know he's he has um I don't know if he fits like a particular, like, you know, the four quadrant political left, right, Mm -hmm. you know, authoritarian, um, libertarian. I don't know if he fits into that. He has really heterodox views on certain things, but I think socially he would be a leftist.
2: Yeah, well, well, anyways, he has a very interesting book called uh, First is Tragedy, Then is Farce. And he sort of traces how um, 9-11 was such a profound tragedy and represented a failure of the new global liberal capitalist system to prevent acts of violence, um, to prevent warfare um, and terrorism. But then 2008, when that rolled around and capitalism was again outed as an an, uh, insufficient solution to the problems of our day, we simply further embraced um, those institutions of capitalism so that you know, we need more security, we need to stimulate the economy, we need to prop our financial institutions up higher so we can prevent this from ever happening again. So we, you know, This was just a small aberration. We need to reinvest into the system that we believe in. And I think, I, I bring that up because I think something similar is happening with the Trump presidency, because yes, he was elected as this political outsider who was supposed to drain the swamp, but I think what he's he's done with the confirmations of Brad Kavanaugh, with the impeachment hearings, and unfortunately now also with the coronavirus outbreak is to really, whenever there's a failing manifested in him or manifested in, in the Republican Party, or manifested in his style of politics, he he just goes, he doubles down and goes even more into undermining the credibility of the other side of all institutions, of all of the people who we've traditionally seen as credible. And he's basically just said that like, no, it's all madness. It's all political. It's all special interest. You can't trust anything that the other people are saying. So I think we're we're just hurtling down a path of eroding trust in the government to where, you know, we'll pick sides, but we are gonna become more partisan. We're gonna become more distrusting. And unfortunately, you know, not act in ways that um, are conducive to collective action because we'll be so divided and paranoid.
0: So you would you would say we are on a track, like hurtling certainly in one direction of continued undermining trust in government structures?
2: Yeah, and I think that's intentional.
0: You think that's intentional?
2: Yes, I think that the Trump... Intentional,
0: who's intending it?
2: I think it's the strategy of Trump, you know, um, just take like the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Yeah. And, and I
0: don't, I don't know if I disagree with that, but are you, is he an embodiment of that paranoia? Cause like this obviously is a problem that started before him. Like he certainly is a symptom. Um, he might be utilizing some of the same strategies of pointing the finger. So is he like the embodiment of that paranoid person that doesn't believe in the government that is now the leader of the government?
2: Um, I definitely think he's made the problem worse, but I don't think he's caused the problem by any means, yeah.
0: I guess, uh, I guess I'm not being clear. Um, I think what I'm asking is like, is he a representation of that paranoid person that has seen the government lie to them in the 70s with Watergate, that saw the Iran-Contra scandal, that saw 9-11 and us not be protected, and saw the 08 financial collapse, and saw the Snowden links, and like, is he a representation of that paranoid person, or is he a, like, narcissist- that is exploiting a moment using strategies to coalesce those types of people?
2: I think it's a little bit of both. I think he's both an indication of that trend in American politics, and his style of politics is really capitalizing and doubling down on the power of that construct. Does that make sense?
0: So yeah, in the same way that we doubled down on capitalism after two thousand eight, right? We we doubled down again by electing the businessman who's a small loan of a million dollars made millions, right? Yeah. Like,
2: and even now, if there's anything wrong with Trump, it's just it's just him. I mean, it's not the system. It's not his ideas. It's just you know, you know, maybe he's not a great guy, but but really the whole system is what really works. And like, if there's Trump right about 2. the system, 0, then yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Um. I think I, I think I tend to agree on like where we're at. Like obviously um, the political polarization in 2020, not obviously, but by some measures, political polarization in 2020 is worse than it's been since reconstruction. Right. So we probably, although we may have had some spikes of, okay, during the Reagan administration, we had a little bit more credibility. The government got some of that back that those gains were minor in context to these, these incidents these major incidents, which erode trust in the government over time. Right. So like, um, I, 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 while, while that story might not be super clean of like, it has always been moving in the direction of undermining trust. I think that we have for a while, if you think of it, like a, like a stock, like it goes up and it goes down. Right. We might've had some short term gains of credibility for the government, but that all gets wiped out every time one of these major incidents happen. And we never get back to like the trust we had in the government in the 1950s or 60s. Like,
2: Yeah, and it's never like trust is eroded, the Snowden leaks come out and there's like a revolt or there's like yeah. a political revolution. It's usually just like indifference. The same was true with uh, Jeffrey Epstein when he was first you know, thrown in jail and then committed suicide. Everyone was like, oh, of course he did, like, of course he hung himself, of course, like, those guards were just, like, on break or whatever. It's this idea of, like, oh, like, obviously all that's true, obviously, like, the rich and wealthy of our society are all pedophiles. And it's, like, really? Do you, like, hear yourself? And if you really believe that, are you just going to, like, yeah, whatever, that's just the way the
0: world works, and then move on? Yeah. Well, and is it so unlikely that somebody – that's committed such atrocities is now like reconciling with those things for the first time, commit suicide. Like, is that, yeah, I, it, like I, I think that this goes back to it's hard for me to read my own interpretation onto an event without like further data of um, that event, right? Like, like moving slowly <laughs> and evaluating some things that we know, like, okay, maybe there's some sketchy things with that. But like, like you said, you really think that all of the elites are pedophiles? That's a, seems like a stretch.
2: Yeah. And I wanna check in with Alexis too, because we haven't heard from her in a second. Alexis how a do you,
0: rabbit Trail too, no pun intended.
2: How do you think <laughs> that like erosion of credibility or that sort of like jumping to conclusions of like, oh, obviously that's the case? Do you think that impacts sort of like um issues surrounding um I don't know the right way to say this, but basically like the Me Too movement? where you'll see an accuser come forward or someone who's telling their story and then instantly you're like, that fits the narrative. Obviously she's correct. I'm curious of your opinion as someone who just finished law school, but also as someone who's, uh, well, I should say, and also someone who's such a fierce advocate for women.
0: And is a woman, let's add that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, if I understood your question, I'll answer, but if I'm getting, like, off-topic, then just tell me. I think that our tendency to, like, jump to conclusions, is that, like, kind of what you're talking about?
2: Because they fit the narrative of a conspiracy or just the way you think the world works, yeah.
1: I think when it comes to the Me Too movement specifically, it's really important to ask if we are looking at an incident from a social and normative perspective, or if we're looking at it from a legal perspective. From a legal perspective, I'm on a very hard edge that a lot of people don't agree with. I'm very about defendants' rights you know, that are laid out in the Constitution of Innocent Until Proven Guilty, and that is is so hard when it comes to issues of rape and sexual assault, unfortunately, and I think there does need to be space for that because in courts of law, just the way that the institutions have been built, it does often come down to he said, she said, uh, for lack of a better term, and then when we ask ourselves why that is, it's because of the societal and the normative part and and the psychology of, of victimhood and what, what trauma does and what that looks like. And it's, it's also valid why a person might not go to the cops to get an incredibly invasive and uncomfortable rape kit done when all they want to do is take a fucking shower. Is it really so hard to wrap your head? Ar- oh, of, of course, of course. So yeah and and even if you do go through that trusting that yet another big institute institution is gonna actually do the right thing which we know they often don't so fitting a narrative i think is tricky with this specific movement like speaking to me too and i think that there is a lot of that i mean i think tara reed doesn't necessarily fit the narrative of the quote-unquote perfect victim that we've constructed. Um, and so, I mean, like I said, I'm having the reflex right now of kind of pushing against the the movement as it's been in the mainstream. But really, there are so many feminists and, and people inside the movement who have been raising these issues for a long time. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, Taylor sending me a really awesome article about Me Too going too far. I believe it was Taylor. Um, I don't remember the name of the that's article. That's my fiance. But, and, yeah, my and oh, and like a fierce debater and a lot of other things, but yes, Zach's fiance. <laughs> um, so, and at that time, honestly, I wasn't really ready to hear that, you know, and that's another thing about this movement is that so many people are so emotionally invested because either they've been personally victimized or they certainly know someone who hasn't, even if not. I mean, it's just a human issue. So it's just about, I think, constantly trying to challenge ourselves to be more critical and to ask harder questions and to kind of fight against like the big N narrative. Or whatever because at the end of the day if that's what you're relying on you like your case doesn't hold water is that the expression hold water or hold weight I'm not sure expressions are so whack anyway um, so I think with the Me Too Too movement it's just so hard because of all of the context that is that goes into that and of course like people who are advocates and believe women like we're not a monolith and we can say, I want to believe women normatively and societally, and I want to investigate if it's okay to, like, I want to talk about Aziz Ansari and his behavior, but I never want to ever indict him in front of a grand jury. And both of those conversations have to have space.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting, because I think most of the way politics occurs now is very heuristic. It's very, like, gut reaction of, like, does that make sense? Does mm-hmm. that like fit my narrative, or no? Does that not? Is that
0: heuristic or affect?
2: Uh, I'm not. Sh- I think they're sort of similar. I-, I-, I say heuristic as opposed to like a more systematic, like logical think through. Like take this idea to court and really evaluate it up upon a strict standard. Um,
0: more proxy based.
2: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not. I'm not really sure. I'm picking up on your language, but I think we're on. I think we're talking yeah, about the same thing. For sure.
0: I'm sorry. I I look at heuristic as like, oh, I measure something by this. Like it's a measurement tool in a lot of ways. Um, I might be misunderstanding that word, to be honest. But it was a pretentious question, so I'll probably cut that part out.
2: Oh no, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. So, yeah, but the the heuristic is like, does this line up with my meta narrative? big-end narrative for, like, the world versus Mm -hmm. more systematically and objectively evaluating something, do you think there's, like, a space for that systematic legal evaluation of conspiracy theories or of, you know, every press conference that happens these days? Like, I don't know how we get that besides, like, really solid journalism and, like, Mm -hmm. books that are written really fast by, like, people who are, like, really smart. But like I I just don't know if we can I, I want that. Like that's why it's so like legal studies are so attractive to me. I mean, I, I haven't gone to law school and obviously like <laughs> you've invested more in in legal study, but like it's this idea that we can know truth and that we can systematically evaluate something as opposed to just like, does this match my does this confirm my bias? Yes or no? Should I believe it or not? And just moving from there.
1: Right. And I mean, obviously, it's tricky from the legal standpoint of the First Amendment and censoring certain things. And um, it's a very high bar for speech, very high. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's its like, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I don't know. I have no answer. And it's, I mean, because even we look at, again, like with the Tara Reid accusation, like there is reporting on it now from from sources that we trust. Or I do, the New York Times, right? And it, it was very in depth and objective, I think. But guess what? There were other sources that got to it first that weren't as thorough, but that got not as much attention, probably. But they, so it's like even when we do have a really high standard for journalism, and I think so many journalists in our country do have that, thank God there's always going to be like TMZ or whatever, (laughs) but isn't, you know,
0: but isn't it up to us then to understand like how TMZ is different than the New York times.
1: Yeah I mean it's just hard for me when especially when we're talking about like just kind of we want to affirm our worldview as it already exists. To me it makes me think of like okay well yeah guess what someone who is is right now an essential worker who has to go out every day and like be exposed to the public and and doesn't have a mask or doesn't have what they need. Guess what if they hear something on the radio on the way to work or when they're cooking dinner on the news they are so worried about just feeding their families and staying safe that i i can't fault them for not moving up that ladder and thinking critically about what they're hearing and what they're ingesting and that doesn't only go for the situation that we're in right now but i mean there's i mean i, I don't know how we can ask a poor person who is on facebook who who isn't extremely educated and is fucking stressed out who just got laid off or whatever that, to be like oh and this this news article that my aunt published. Should I listen to that? It's just hard for me to be like you need to be. You need to think critically about what you're seeing. You need to not just try to affirm your worldview because that's just ultimately human nature. And there's so much privilege in this conversation. And I don't really know how to like get around. I think we do it all the time because I know that the three of us were always trying to talk to our loved ones and mostly our family members and in trying to steer them in the right direction. And we know how fucking hard that is. So the answer is yes. The onus should probably be more on the person to, uh, cipher through what is credible and what's not. But we know from personal experience that that's like so, so much easier said than done.
0: I almost hear a little, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, John Mearshamir or, uh, you know, uh, who's it? Abraham Maslow coming through in you there. Uh, Maslow, obviously means Maslow's that. hierarchy of needs, oh, right? Yeah. Like you have to satisfy mm-hmm. the base levels of um, having... I was going to
1: bring that up, but I thought it was like too debatey.
0: I <laughs> I don't know. There are other books though. Like these are critical two. authors. <laughs> these are critical authors though. And like Meerscha uh, Meerscha is more about like having security and like being able to have... Sec- Before you can like actualize, you have to have security in your family, security in your finances, security in your country, right? Like, so I almost... I don't know which is true. Maybe it's a little bit of both, right? But like, I am i kind of hear those philosophers in, in you a little bit right now.
1: Well, yeah. Those that's, critical
0: thinkers, yeah.
1: That's, that's, that's really, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. and I would also be interested in just like trauma too, like how generational trauma or even just one person's trauma affects that. Like, from a psychological standpoint having that energy or you know people who have to deal with racial microaggressions and structural racism on a daily basis there are studies actually about the impact that that has on health mentally and physically so how can we ask those people even if they are educated at, to come home after a long day of, of fucking navigating white supremacy to be like oh fuck is is, is what, Because even like the the journalists that we do trust, like the Times, they they do make mistakes too. So even in those moments, it's like, how can we, because it does it, I don't know, I mean, I think we're kind of in the habit and we have the reflex and the muscle memory to be like, okay, let's think about this, let's run it past somebody, let's look for an additional source, but that, that just takes time and practice. And effort and energy and like just sometimes people just don't have that, yo. Know? And it's easy to just click, retweet, share, you know, post, whatever, and just move on with your life because you don't see how misinformation or or what you don't see how that's really a macro issue either in your day to day. So
0: maybe Facebook and Twitter should make it less easy to hit retweet and share. <laughs>
1: But you know, then how much is that gonna hurt there?
0: No, that was a joke. Yeah, I mean like, no, I I totally agree with you. I don't know what the answer is though. It's like, should, so I should, I can't have a expectation of individuals to parse through the data on their own in like a responsible act, whatever the academic responsible way is, right? For whatever reason, maybe it's microaggressions, maybe it's poverty, maybe it's Mm. a disaster, that maybe they had a tornado that took their, like, I don't know, any litany of things, right? So then it's like my thought is like, okay, well, maybe we should be less confident in the things that we're sharing on social media and just be overall more skeptical of political ideology and worldviews. But then you're asking people to like not hold beliefs about the world. It's like, (laughs) like it's not, that's, that's easier said than done also. Um, so I don't know. That's, I don't know what the solve is. If there is a solvency, what do you think?
2: Well, I mean, (laughs) It's difficult because on one hand, it's like, we just, we just fly off the edge of a cliff into like, I don't know what to, who to trust and what to know and what to do. And it's worthless anyways, to think about this. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, I think we become too like narrow-minded and like, we, we refuse to see things from another perspective. Um, you know, my, my dad used to say like, everything's complicated and every everybody has an agenda. It still tells me that like every single time we talk. And I think that's a really good way to interpret things and and things to keep in mind, but at the same time when we are just left in a place of doubt, then mm-hmm. we can't act and we we're just paralyzed in that doubt and that fear and that like need to be sure and then, you know, bad things happen mm-hmm. or you know we just don't have any beliefs um and so i think at a certain point you just like do your best like everybody else who's ever lived and you just like see where the cards fall is that the phrase yeah. <laughs> see how the cookie Can crumbles the
0: chips fall
2: yeah, chips fall
1: because really at the end of the day the most dangerous thing to society is apathy and indifference and we need to protect ourselves against burning out and and getting to that place where we just don't have and I mean it's totally relatable I think we've all fucking been there I mean I feel like every month I go through days where I especially right now with everything with Mod Arbery like I could not bring myself to engage with that right now And to some degree, I still haven't as deeply as I will later. And just being aware of that. And I have a lot of friends who like to, I don't have a lot of friends. I have friends who like to ask me a lot of political (laughs) stuff. And sometimes I have to just be like, I don't know right now. And can you, can you talk to me about that? Or let me get back to you. And that has to be okay. Like we have to be aware and sensitive of where we're at emotionally because this work is fucking hard. Okay. And i I'm not even working. I'm not even on the front lines of this shit. I can hardly imagine what it's like for those people. So, you know, apathy is the enemy. Okay. More so than misinformation, more so than, than even bigotry. I would say like, it's people who just don't care that are the most dangerous. So. I think
0: it's dangerous for That Better them.
1: from Birmingham jail, bitch.
0: Well and it's dangerous <laughs> for the reason of paralysis, right? Like, well, that's ableist. But it's because you get frozen and you're like, Okay, well I don't care, so I shouldn't do anything. And like I have, like, people I that have I'm no very power to that take the perspective yeah. of like the world's fucked, the world's gonna mm-hmm. burn and <laughs>
2: Or like burn, whatever period. I post on Facebook, there's get someone's gonna scream at me. So like I'll Why just even? not
0: post it. Yeah. Um, any other final thoughts? Uh, do we want to, anybody want to circle this back to the book? I think it's been a really good conversation on, um, skeptic, uh, mm-hmm. being skeptical of institutions and just kind of how that interacts with a lot of different things. Um, I appreciate you both. I think this has been a, a good, uh, good dive into, uh, a, uh, you know, it was a good jumping off point and a good discussion.
1: Thanks Zach. Sure I agree. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. I was a little nervous cause I didn't really have like, a lot of questions I was like I just want to talk about how this pertains to like what's happening now or whatever but we we definitely did have a good conversation for sure so I'm glad because I was a little bit like what you (laughs) were
0: afraid people are gonna know how uh, how much of a conspiracy theorist you are
1: oh my god I know I probably like totally discredited myself and in the future I'm gonna have like a I'm just gonna be like on on one just going off like preaching
0: Coronavirus, and, it's 5G, right?
1: Uh, oh, 5G.
0: totally.
1: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, please, like, just hear me out in the future, guys. Okay, I'll earn back my trust, I promise. And I'm admitting that I'm wrong. I'm just talking
0: uh, to Rotor and I, or, or the listeners? No,
1: the people. <laughs> okay. All of our <laughs> hundreds of listeners. Please.
0: Mm-hmm. Rotor's dad, Alexis, promises she's going to win back here. <laughs> <us. laughs> I'm the Terrence rotary um,
2: <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> are we just kind of doing our last takeaways?
0: We're, well, I am i haven't got us there yet. I was going to oh, okay. transition into that. Um, that's it for this uh, segment. So let's go ahead and transition into final thoughts. No ad break here. Uh, so why don't we just go ahead and start with uh, Thomas Rotary.
2: Yeah, I, I thought this book was a huge information download. But through all of the facts and all of the dates and all of the data, I think what the biggest impression that it left with me is that we need to take special care with how we learn facts and how we interpret new information, especially information that seems shocking or threatening or that makes us angry or that really affects our emotions, because I'm not so different than every other American, every other person in my, my need for comfort, in my need for intuiting meaning into everything and into basically interacting with all this information in a, in, a, in a way that makes sense. And I think sometimes embracing the absurdity of a situation or embracing the unknowability of information is, is really important to me. And just understanding the way that I think is a huge task, but I think it's one that everybody needs to undertake in order to have a better relationship with other people, with information, with with everything that I do. And that's a tall task, but you know, ultimately I think it's the only way to mm-hmm. engage with the world and not just be thrown back and forth by every conspiracy theory that comes my way.
0: Well said. Alexis?
1: No, I... I totally agree. And that's something that I, it's really hard for me because I'm a very emotional person and it's easy for me to operate like just off of that. So I have to compartmentalize and that takes time and energy to like look at something and be like, okay, am I evaluating this just through an emotional standpoint or am I? evaluating it through like an analytical standpoint. I'm not saying that you should ever block out your emotional side because I think it's a strength to be empathetic and it's a strength to be sensitive, but we have to be self-aware. And I think just be patient too and understand that a lot of the time coming to a conclusion is a really long journey. And oftentimes there's like no destination because I feel like a lot of people are like not changing their minds but just like always in a different place with things because they're learning new things they're experiencing new things and we're not just static in in a lot of our beliefs and especially with information coming at us you know in the media and and things like that like where we don't necessarily have any information to go off of and we don't we don't really know what's going on. Like you just have to be okay with taking time and and really asking yourself how you're evaluating what you're seeing. And I think that, you know, social media is really bad for that because we just want to respond and we want to attack or discredit or whatever. So a lot of it is, um, I think really not 100% one hundred percent our fault. I think there's a, a reason why we have that. Um,
0: it's the Illuminati.
1: Yeah, the Illuminati for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I think that was my takeaway too. Was just like it wasn't something that I'm that I learned because I think I already knew that critical thinking is like the most important thing, and it's work to do that. It doesn't just automatically like happen in our brains for most people. Like you have to make it happen. <laughs> Um, and just for me as someone who's like really sensitive and I operate off of emotion, like it's just, you know, like maybe with the, um, the one that in the book where there was a huge conspiracy that all of the slaves were planning this like huge, huge revolt. Well, if you told me like, well, did you hear about the Nat Turner, right? Nat Turner? Rebellion, then maybe I would have been like, well, you know, that wasn't true because all this other stuff wasn't true Well, guess what like that actually did happen like and you have to take the outrage that you might be feeling or the the heartbreak that you might be feeling about something and Be able to kind of just balance that not get rid of it, but just balance it
0: Definitely I think I want to end with a quote from uh, Robert Wilson, who's a famous satirical writer and ironist that's detailed in the chapter Operation Mindfuck. Robert Wilson said, uh, one reality reality tunnel is as limiting as another. We are all blind men investigating the elephant. You have to jump quickly from reality map to reality map, time after time to begin to see the elephant and realize how complex and funny this whole terrestrial terrestrial drama is. I think that is so true in terms of we all are coming... We all are trying to look at the world through a keyhole, right? Like suppose it's a house and we we are outside of the house and we're trying to see inside. We only can look through a keyhole. Each of us have different um, doors in the house that we're looking through the keyhole to, and we can only see a little bit. We have to do our best to widen that keyhole as much as we can and engage with those that are looking through other keyholes to get a better understanding of what we're looking at. Similar to the elephant metaphor, I I just think that it really well – kind of defines how we should be thinking about things in the world, right? We should be open to everybody's perspective, but highly skeptical of how they got there. And as Alexis says, do the work to understand the data that you're getting from those other perspectives um, before you incorporate it into your own worldview. And that is a tough ask. It is work. It is something that not all people are going to do, but I think it is worth Worth try- it, it is worth trying to encourage more individuals to think in that manner, regardless of class, uh, education level, social social positioning. Like, I think all of that aside, it's important for those of us that value that as an ethic to try and bring others along to think in similar ways and get a better view of the elephant.
1: I think what you said, Zach, with the keyholes was like so deep. like really good. And I think that for people who might not be buying that, like even if you are sure that you're going to reject the data that you could find through a different keyhole. Okay. Well, if you want to be persuasive and you want to, you want to be able to attack the other person's argument, you always need to be able to see through their keyhole. And like, especially as a future lawyer, like that's, if you want to have a strong case, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the prosecutor you know and the judge and the jury because i mean you you might be diametrically opposed to it all the way through 100% and that's okay but in order to strengthen your position to anticipate arguments that are going to be coming at you and and to be ready to take those down or and, and even to know what you're willing to to concede on you need to to be seeking out those other keyholes so if you're not persuaded that you need to do it for for, for yourself and for your own position, then maybe you'll be persuaded to do it in order to, to, you know, be able to really debate somebody or to win because, you know, that is, a lot of of what our society is like politically is like we want to win we want to be right well okay like I'm not gonna say that that's wrong because obviously I have that I'm gonna be a lawyer here soon and we were all debaters so we all want to win that's okay if that's what your what your motivation is then guess what you need to still be looking at things from all angles and trying to get as much information as you can
0: I, told, I think that's a great way to put it. And um, this is actually talked about in the Bible. I think one of my favorite verses is James 1, 19, that reads, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I think if we all suck first to understand, we were all first quick to listen and slow to speak, not only would the world be a lot less partisan, but we would all have a better, we'd probably be less paranoid and have a better understanding of what's going on at large. Um, mm-hmm. So I I can't agree more with with that sentence or with with, kind of how you laid that out.
2: Yeah, I love that, Zach. I think think too, like what's our definition of winning? Is it love? Is it building other people up? Is it arriving at truth so that we can seek justice? Or is it manipulation? And is it tearing Mm -hmm. others down? And is it getting people angry so they'll give us money? (laughs) And you know, we we need to define what's winning and we need winning to be the right goal.
0: Yeah, they're winning—you know—winning means different things to different people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So with that, I think that is done for another episode of Reader Beware. Thank you for those of you who've made it to this point. August first, we will be talking about the book *The Triumph of Doubt*. Uh, this is Rotor selection. Uh, would you like to give any uh, a little preview about that?
2: Uh, sure. So the full title is. The Triumph of Doubt, Dark Money and the Science of Deception Um, and it has to do with the way that um, different companies maybe influence science or influence public opinion in order to um, basically seed doubt that their products or their services or their operations are really causing any problems. Um, It was the author is David Michaels and it was published this year. So interested Ooh. to see what it has to say
0: very interested indeed so that's it for us at reader beware you'll might hear us in your ears before that if we have some kind of fun mini episode or something we want to talk about but uh until next time reader beware 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 beware
1: beware, beware. i'm not doing that. <laughs>
0: I think I think my uh cold open I I, I there's a I, I think I got a couple ideas. I'm gonna pull every out of context thing that Rotor said about sex and race and <laughs> <laughs> just cut it together, together
2: into something super <laughs> offensive. Oh great. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, I appreciate
0: <laughs> or right. I could do every time somebody said I totally agree, because we all said that I
2: totally agree.